The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. So after two whole years, Pharaoh determined that he was sta- dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the seven plump cows, but when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there is no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, um, we just come before you this morning, Lord, just to, to worship you, Lord, and to sit before you, God. I pray that in this time of hearing your word, Lord, that you would humble our hearts, Lord, that um, we would just be open and willing to whatever you have to say to us, Lord, that we would um, just be available to your spirit this morning, Lord. We ask that you be with us in your name, I pray. Thank you, Allie. 
And uh, good to see everybody here. Welcome to uh, what we're doing here as two churches, First Baptist Church of San Diego and Grace City Church. And we're in a series through the book of Genesis called The Gospel in Genesis. We're finishing, actually, just the story of Joseph and talking about that. It's a three-day weekend, and it's Veterans Day, and I wanted to acknowledge that because a lot of you are gone. A lot of you are here who are visiting, and we welcome you. Uh, would you put your hand up if you're a veteran? I promise I won't uh, like embarrass you anymore. Put your hand up real high. Can we thank these people for what they have done for us? We do want to thank you for your service. Um, I think about, uh, there's a veteran in my family I've been re researching. He was a veteran of the Civil War, and uh, he survived it. He got out uh, because of an injury. We don't really know what the injury was. The, the family uh, story is that he got his arm knocked off by a cannonball, and I can't quite prove that except that he ran a farm after that, and what I actually have is that his farm made butter which I figure is something you could do with one arm if you're just using one of those butter turns, you know, so maybe that is what he did. Anyway, it's occurred to me that I want to honor him because we named one of our sons after him, uh, John William. William's his middle name. It's William uh, Perry Furrow is his name. And uh, it occurs to me that without him, there is no me. And so we uh, give thanks for his service and uh, uh, his life and what God has done with him. So we thank you all for your service here. You know, many of us, most of us here are are little people in the sense that we're not going to be recorded in the history books. Our lives probably will not be noticed. That's not true maybe for every one of you, but most of us, that's uh, not going to happen. Um, but you know what? There's something that's very, very true is that we are very, very important in God's history. And every one of, every one of us actually has a role in the history that God is doing, and that's the history that counts. And some of you, whoever you are, have no idea what God could actually accomplish in your life. You have, in fact, it's really true with all of us. We really have no idea what God could accomplish in our life. Sometimes we think we're just a nobody or that God doesn't really love us or doesn't really, isn't really with us and what's he going to do, or we have so much sin or discomfort in our life or difficulties, we think, well, how's God going to use us? Well, let me ask you this question this morning. How would your life be different if you had complete and total confidence that God was with you? Whatever your circumstances are, whatever your health concerns are, whatever your wealth status is, whatever your job status is, whatever it is that's going on in your life, how would your life be different if you had absolute confidence that God was with you? What kinds of decisions would you make? How would it be different? How would you maybe talk to people differently? What kinds of things would come out of your mouth? Or every time you have an opportunity at work or school, how would it be different if you were absolutely certain that God is with you? Now, when we're talking about God being with us, we're not talking about God coming alongside and he's our genie and he's going to make everything we want to do work out. We're talking about if we are aware enough of God being with us, that he's going to make things work out beyond our imagination for his plan and his will. Imagine, imagine if you could, you know, there's all kinds of these sci-fi stuff about people in alternate dimensions, like there's another you somewhere. Imagine there's another you who is totally confident in some other dimension that God is with him or her. How does that person live their life? Well, we're going to learn a few things about that today. It's an important question because this question will impact all of your insecurities in your life. It will help you with issues of anger or control. It will give you perspective on every single thing going on in your life, including your job, your career, your family, your, your marriage, your soon-to-be marriage, your last marriage, or whatever it is that you're experiencing. It will give you a different perspective. And if you are a Christian, you should know this, that God has promised to be with you which it doesn't mean that he's going to do everything you want, but he is going to use you to help him do the things that he wants. And when you lean on him, 
it's incredible what can be done. In the Bible, one of the things that you read about so often is that God actually wants to be with you. What does God want? He wants to be with you. This is the story of God. He wants to be with you. And Jesus gave us the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, that Jesus has commanded you. How does he finish that? And I am with you always. I am with you always until the end of the earth, end of the age. See, he doesn't send us into a mission that's just by yourself. It's a, it's a co-mission. We're with him. We're about to celebrate uh, Christmas. Anybody put your Christmas tree up already? All right, a couple of you, all right. We're gonna sing and talk about Emmanuel, which is God's name, was Jesus' name, God with us. You see, this is something that God wants. He wants to be with you and I. This is what he wants. And the thing is, is that when we know God this way, it helps us with every circumstance, temptations and trials, but also, when things are good, and we're going to talk more about that today. So often we talk about God being with us when we're going through really hard times, but you know what? He's with you in the best of times also. And yet this is the time that we hardly ever acknowledge. In fact, we hardly ever acknowledge that he's with us even during normal times, when things are just going normally. How often do we acknowledge that God is with us or wonder? Well, he's with us all the time, even in the best times. Genesis 41, in this story, we learn about a guy who has more challenges than you and I will ever have in his life. More challenges, he has more up times and, and low times. He has more wealth and power and opportunity than we will ever have also, and more chances to boast and say, I told you so, than you and I will ever have. You know what's happening? This is like technical difficulty Sunday. I'm trying to use these, uh, you know, my notes here, and I'm discovering that they're, it's just not working. I think when you hit about 48, you get off the technology train. <laughs> you don't mean to, you just get off the wrong exit, and then you're just, you're just stuck. Hold on here. I know. I'm not that old. I'm 48, but I read at a 50-year-old level. Seriously, in my whole life, every time I've used this, I always print one out just in case. This is the only time that I ever didn't do that. All right, well, they tell you you're supposed to preach without notes. Hey, uh, does anyone have a paper copy of the sermon notes so I can at least remember that? Can I have one of those? All right. What am I talking about here? How would your life change if you knew that God was with you? All right. Here's the first thing, here's the first point. You need to know that God is in control. We say that all the time, God's in control. But no, really, God is in control. He's in control of everything. Here's how it begins in, in chapter 41. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, 
when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those in the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. And then Pharaoh woke up. Notice that two years have gone by, and then Pharaoh wakes up. And you wake up from a dream like that, you know, what do you do? You go, wow, that was a crazy, intense dream. I think I'm going to just go back to bed. So that's what he does. Verse 5, he fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. So Pharaoh wakes up, and he has this dream. In verse 8, it says, in the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt, and Pharaoh told them about his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. God is in control. So Pharaoh has this dream, and it's troubling him. And he thinks about it, and he says, you know what, I've got to get some help with this dream. In fact, he has two dreams, and it seems like there's an impact for that. I'm going to try one more time here on my, my phone, actually. All right, there are no comments for this file. God is not going to let me have my notes. God is with me and God is in control. All right. All right, so he has this dream, right? And he decides, I've got to do something about it. So Pharaoh, verse 14, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. And when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. So he's, what happens is, the part that I just skipped, is the cupbearer, the cupbearer we learned about last week, he hears Pharaoh, and Pharaoh comes to all of his people, and he says, hey, I have these dreams, and I need one of you to interpret it. And they're all going, well, uh, or, uh, you know, and you're in a bad position if you're going to misinterpret Pharaoh's dreams, right? Because we know what he does to people. He sends you down to the prison. And so the cupbearer, the cupbearer gets up and he says, hey, you know what? A couple of years ago, it just occurred to me. And you know what? I'm sorry. I just hadn't thought about this. It just occurred to me. But, you know, a couple of years ago, you got mad at me because your soup was too cold and you sent me down to that prison. It's no big deal. But uh, remember that happened. And... While I was down there, me and, and uh, your, your baker, who you'd also sent down there, who's not here anymore because you got mad and you impaled him, well, there was a, there was a guy down there, this Hebrew slave, and, uh, you know, he was being used by the warden to run the prison, and we got to know him. We had these dreams, and he interpreted our dreams, and I need to tell you that both of our dreams he interpreted exactly right. I think you should go get him. And the pharaoh buys it, and the cupmaker's like, whew. And so they go, and they, Pharaoh sends for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. And when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. I wondered about this. I thought he, he shaved and changed his clothes, and he's presented before Pharaoh. I wonder if Pharaoh looked at him and went, well, you look pretty good. It must not be that bad down in that dungeon. All right. Here's the interesting thing that's about to happen. See, while this is going on, while Pharaoh's having his dreams and all this is going on, Joseph has no idea that God is doing stuff with his life. Joseph has been down in this prison for two years, and he's got a great attitude, as we learned last week, but he's marking off the days, another day, 
two years, I've forgotten about what's going to happen. He's trusting in God because he knows that he had dreams that God is going to one day put him in this position of authority and his brothers are going to bow down before him. He knows that's going to happen. He has faith in that, but he's just struggling. And yet God is still working even though he doesn't see it. And God is working with the Pharaoh, the most powerful man probably on the planet at that time. And greater than that, he's working on everything because God has a plan. In Psalm 105, I don't think I put it in your notes, but Billy read the first part of that psalm uh, today. And Psalm 105, the psalmist actually writes about this event. I read it a couple weeks ago. It goes like this. And if you go down to verse uh, 16, I want to say, he called down, this is talking about this, verse 16, he called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him master of his household, ruled over all he possessed to instruct his princes as he pleased and teach his elders wisdom. Look at this story. This is how the psalmist tells you about the story, and it begins, God caused this famine to come. So what we're going to see is this famine that this dream is going to be interpreted that you heard Ali read about. God made this happen. And there's something about God that we have to know, that God is sovereign over the kings of this earth and over what is happening. In the book of Daniel, chapter 4, did I put that up here? Daniel 4, 17. Nebuchadnezzar is having his dream interpreted by Daniel, and this is part of it. It says, the decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict that so the living may know, the living, that's us, most of us. So the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. This is God. God is in control. He's in control of the nations. He's in control of, the, of everything. He's got a plan. If you're ever worried about our world, maybe you've watched the news before, you should be concerned about a lot of things, but don't be too concerned because God's in control. And everything that's happening is going to go fit according to his plan. If you read through your Bible, you find this out. You find out that his prophets talk about kingdom after kingdom after kingdom and what's going to happen. You've got the Babylonians, and then you've got the Persians, and you've got the Greeks, and you've got the Romans, and it takes us all the way to the end times where Jesus one day comes back. And that's all in your Bible, by the way. There, your scholars look at that and they go, well, all the evidence says that probably Daniel wrote this, but he couldn't predict the future, so he must, must be a fraud. But there's no evidence that it's a fraud. You need to have confidence that God is in control of the big things and even the little things. Now, God is in control of everything. Now he's also going to have control, and he's doing things in Joseph's life. Second point is this. God is working in our present circumstances. So Joseph is in this prison. He's not doing well, but God is still doing things. And so Joseph gets out, all right? And so they bring him up. He, they bring him up to the Pharaoh. And you have to put yourself in this moment. This is a great moment for Joseph. He's been in, in this prison, and now suddenly he's before the Pharaoh. Have you ever had an opportunity where there's a life-changing moment before you? There's something that's going on where you can't blow it. Don't blow it. This is your opportunity. And Pharaoh's going to say, I need you to interpret my dreams. Great opportunity for him. He can probably get out. He can have a life back. He doesn't know for sure everything that's going to happen, but it seems like something is going to happen. Now, the thing is, is that for a lot of us in our life, when we have these moments, 
we kind of leave God behind. Somehow God's not involved in this process. Somehow we just say, you know what, uh, I've got this professional opportunity and I'm gonna give this presentation and I'm gonna do whatever I can in order to get this right. And I'm gonna go out with these people and I'm gonna leave my, my, my uh, values behind because it doesn't really fit into the professional environment and I'm sure not gonna bring God into it. And uh, we do that, don't we? We often make judgments in our life where we're not realizing that God is with us and we make the wrong call morally. And maybe we get that promotion and we start to march up the corporate ladder, but later on we find out that ladder was leaning against the wrong building. But because we made a series of decisions that we would not have made had we realized that God was with us at the time, we end up somewhere we wish we wouldn't have been. That's what a lot of us do. So Joseph is before the Pharaoh and there's this opportunity. And what do you think he says? Please interpret my dream. You know what he says? First thing out of his mouth is he says this, I can't do it. What? That's the wrong answer, Joseph. You can't do it? That's the, the Pharaoh has got you in here. You're supposed to say, I can do it, and let me give you my resume. I've had these dreams, and I'm interpreting myself. In fact, there are a couple of guys who you know that I interpreted their dreams. Uh, they're my references. Well, one of them is because you killed the other one, but you are right to do so, Pharaoh, and I totally agree. He just sort of kisses his behind, and he's supposed to do this, right? This is what he's supposed to do. This is not what he says. He says, I can't do it. And worse, he replies to Pharaoh, who sees himself as a god. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And you have to imagine there's a room full of advisors and people who just went, oh, no, 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 no. And they're like, oh, the Hebrew kid's going to get it. You know, and they start taking a poll. Is he going to get impaled, hanged? Is he going to go back to the dungeon? What's going to happen? Like you just said to Pharaoh, you can't do it. And then you said, your God can give him the answer he desires. Your God. Why should Pharaoh think about your God as anything special? Because your God, who you say is with you, left you in the dungeon the last couple of years. How good is your God anyway? And yet this is the answer that he gives. I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. You see, here's the thing. If you are fully confident that God is with you, you're not worried about kissing Pharaoh's behind and you're not worried about doing things the right way or the politically correct way or doing whatever it is that you think you need to do. You're gonna do what God wants you to do. And God wants you to give him the glory and you're gonna say, I, don't, I can't do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. This is what he does. So then Pharaoh looks around the room and everybody's just waiting for Pharaoh to throw a spear at him or something. And Pharaoh says, all right, let me tell you about my dreams. So Pharaoh does, tells him about the dreams, and he recounts all of that. And we get down to verse 25. Joseph hears all this, and he says to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Notice that Joseph is giving everything and all the credit to God. And God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. He tells him in this passage that the reason you had two dreams is because God is certain that this is going to happen. This has been decided. He tells him there's going to be seven years of great wealth and prosperity, that everybody in, this, in Egypt, when they plant something, stuff's going to grow, and they're just going to have a great harvest, and people are going to have wealth, and people are going to realize from all over the world that this is the place to be. But seven years after that, that's all going to dry up, and everything people try to plant is not going to grow. It's not going to happen. And God has decided that this is what will occur. Look around the room. You see, this is what somebody does who is fully confident that God, want, that God is present with him. 
Pharaoh looks around. What's my next uh, verse up there? Anybody? Oh, okay. So what happens next is the people are wondering what in the world is going to happen. I really wish I had my notes for this part. It was like extra profound. I'm going to try one more time. All this is right now like live on YouTube. So lost. All right. Oops, I just went to YouTube. Never had this happen before. Where am I at here? Good grief. So excited about this message. All right. <laughs> You'll never find it. I think what I did was I only had one page of notes in there. That's why that didn't work. So the whole thing's on here. I could go get it, but it's not working either. Probably because never mind. All right, so here's what happens next. Verse 33. Joseph is standing there. He's given this answer. And then he does this crazy thing. Not only has he just told Pharaoh that uh, his God is better and that his God knows what he's going to do and that Pharaoh doesn't know, but then he becomes Pharaoh's consultant. Have you ever had that opportunity where suddenly you're talking to some bigwig somewhere and then you start telling them what to do and how to do their job? I mean, he's like, you know what, uh, I'm going to tell you how to do your job right now. I slept in a Holiday Inn Express last night. It, he didn't. He said, you've been in the dungeon for two years. How in the world are you going to tell me this? But this is what he does. Verse 33, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. So all of a sudden, Joseph gives him a plan. He says, hey, here's the plan. I've just saved the economy and I've saved the uh, country. There you go. You need to go hire some people to, make, to get this done. So Pharaoh looks around and he looks at all of his officials and he goes, anybody got a better idea? And you got to think about it. These guys have been with Pharaoh for a long time. They've been trying to get closer to him and advising him. And they've learned, though, that when he says, anybody got a better idea, and they don't, that the answer is no. So they say no. Verse 37, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? No. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and of my, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Suddenly, Joseph is in charge. The Pharaoh says to him, I've known you for 28 minutes. You're in charge of the country. I'm giving you charge of everything. Only I will be greater than you. And this is exactly what he does. Can something like this happen? 
It can happen when God is with you. Why did Pharaoh agree to this? Why did Pharaoh do this? Why? For the same reason that Potiphar made Joseph the head of his household, for the same reason that the jailer made Joseph the the head of the, the jail, because God is with them. They saw something different in this guy. They saw somebody who didn't overreact to things. They saw somebody who seemed to have a a nice answer for things. They saw somebody who seemed to have a relationship with a God who was real, and we don't really see them acknowledge that exactly, but we see them see something different about Joseph. This is how we should be viewed as Christians, by the way, in the culture. It might be that the people that you know, they don't really know anything about Jesus or like much about Jesus, but what they should be saying about the church is they should say, I want to hire those people because they're honest and they won't steal from me. I'm not really sure I agree with your Jesus stuff, but I really hope that my daughter marries one of these men who believes in Jesus. That's what the culture should be seeing in us. Not just a group of people who do things the same way as everybody else. Not just a group of people who think it's all about them and it's my opportunity and I'm going to leverage all this stuff for myself. We need to be different. The next point and the final point is this, is that our confidence grows when we acknowledge God's work. Your confidence that God is with you, it grows when you acknowledge that God is always with you. In every circumstance that you have, God is with you. In here, we see Joseph do that. And over the next 14 years, when you start to read what he does during this famine, the whole time he's the same guy. He acknowledges that God is with him, and he understands that God is with him, and he acknowledges God in everything that he does. Let me try to make this practical here for a minute. You see, when we talk about God being with us, so often we're talking about the hard times. It's easy for us to say, to lean on God when our kids are sick. It's easy for us to lean on God when we're worried about our medical condition or we're worried about something when the bottom falls out, when we're broke. Oh, Lord God, please be with me. It's really hard to lean on God when we're going up the corporate ladder. It's really hard to acknowledge Him in all of our ways when everything seems to be going good for us because we start to think we're doing it ourselves, and that it's all about us. But if you want to be confident that God is present in your life, you've got to acknowledge His work. Some takeaways here. The first thing is acknowledge God in every part of your life and go public with your faith. This is what Joseph does. He goes public. Do we go public with our faith? Imagine that you're in some meeting someplace. Do you let people know that you are saved? If you want to be confident that God is with you, you got to go public. Somehow people around you, people you work with or people you go to school with, people that you interact with, they got to know that you're a believer that you're leaning on God, even in the good times. And you know what? You might suffer a little bit for that. Famous pitcher Mariano Rivera got in the Hall of Fame last year and gave God the glory for it. Turns out he started a church and he's a believer. Man, he got hacked on CNN and and, uh, ESPN and all those stations for being just a terrible person. But his ministry grew. And people were looking at him going, huh, you, you, Mariano Rivera, Hall of Fame baseball player, multi-million dollar contracts, all that stuff, and you believe in God? Not only that, that you profess Jesus Christ as your Savior? You see, what God wants to do with Mariano Rivera is not win championships with the Yankees. Number one, God's not a fan of the Yankees. Number two, <laughs> until this year, I thought he was a Dodger, but apparently not. 
What God brought Mariano Rivera into this world to do is glorify God through his ministry, you see, and he put him in that position and made him a major leaguer and made him a star, made him a Hall of Famer, so that Mario Rivera would leverage all that he has for the glory of God later in life. If you want to be confident of God's presence in your life, you've got to acknowledge him publicly. You've got to let people know you're doing this for God. I don't know the answer to that, boss, but I think God's going to help us out. <gasps> you brought God in the workplace, the horror. Number two, leverage what God has given you for the sake of everyone else. Once in a while, I get to go speak at uh, Boy Scout uh, things where they give away. It's the, uh, the uh, Eagle Scout. And I give the same speech every time, but I think they like it. And I always say this, who's the most important person in the room? Well, it's this Eagle Scout over here today. And here's the message. Whenever you find yourself as the most important person in the room or you find yourself with means to actually help, leverage everything you have for the benefit of other people. That will increase your leadership. It will increase all these things. And this is what God wants us to do for him, that whatever we have been given, our time, our talents, and treasure, we're called to leverage those things for the benefit of others. That the reason we've been given all this stuff is not for us. The reason you've been given a career, the reason that things are going really well for you in your business, the reason that things are going great for you and your family is not so that you benefit. It's not for me, me, me. It's for him. And he wants you to leverage those things for the benefit of everybody else. This is just what Joseph did. He leveraged his talents, his skills, his relationship with God for the benefit of everybody else, for the benefit of the Pharaoh, for the benefit of all those people in the room, and for everybody throughout all of Egypt. This is what we're called to do. And when you do that, you realize that what God has given you, he's given you for the sake of everything else. It'll make you conf more confident in God's presence in your life, that he's there. And finally this, constantly remember that God is with you in the good times and not just the hard times. What we're called to do is remember. So often in the scriptures, God tells us to remember him. It's because we forget in the good times. We remember him in the bad times. We always remember in the bad times. When we pray for people, after we're praying about the hardest things going on in people's life, and it's so easy to forget God when things are going great. If you want to be more confident that God is with you than every single morning, do something to remember where you once were. Do something to remember what God has done for you. In a minute, we're going to take communion. And the reason we do that is to remember why we're here in the first place, to remember that Jesus died for us, to remember that we can't save ourselves, that we've been saved through the blood and sacrifice of Christ. You've been saved for that reason. And wherever you're at, there's a place where you in your life before where God has been there and you remember that. You remember that. Joseph does this later on. I think I put the verse in here. Is it uh, verse 50? This is what Joseph does to remember. Before the years of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God made me forget all my trouble on all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim, and it said, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. This is what he did to memorialize what God has done in his life. He named his kids these two things. Now, don't go home and rename your kids. But do something that you have a constant reminder. Imagine him. Every time he picks up Ephraim, well, it's because God made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. It's what he remembers every time he sees him. He made sure that he has something built into his life where he remembers God. If you want to be confident that God is with you, do something every day where you remember that God has loved you. Do something every day where you remember where God has brought you from, 
You can write yourself a little note. You can put it, you know, something. You can say a prayer every morning. Do something to remember this. And then what happens is you, you approach your day differently. You approach your day realizing that God is with me. And if God is with me, whom shall I fear? One of the greatest reasons that we forget about God is that we're afraid. We hoard a bunch of stuff. Why? Because we're afraid that God can't protect me through a bad economy. We treat other people badly because we look at prosperity as, as really something that's, compare, that's okay, which is completely not scriptural. No, we need to remember that God is in control. We need to remember that God is active in every part of the circumstances of our life. We need to remember to remember him. See, this confidence that Joseph had, you and I can have it. We just need to do the things that Joseph did. It's offered to us, and God's presence with us is given to us throughout Scripture. The whole season of Christmas that we're about to enter in is about that, God with us, that God comes here to be with us. Emmanuel, this is what God wants. What does God want from you? He wants to be with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to be with you at work. He wants to be with you at school. He wants to be with you where you are, and he wants you to lean hard on him because he wants to do amazing things through you for his kingdom, for what God is doing throughout all of human history. This is what God wants. I have no idea if this is what I was going to share today, but I do have a, a sense that the way this works out is that for some reason what God wants is for me to say something I said here today that somebody here needed to hear. And if you're that person, wow, that God screwed up all of Apple computing <laughs> just for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how in control he is. And he loves each one of us for that. Can we pray and uh, spell your heads? And uh... God, we can learn so much from your word. And I'm glad that we have this story of Joseph. I'm glad that we could see that in this great moment of his life where he is about to be made the vice president of Egypt, that the first thing he does is say, I can't do it and give you the glory for all of it. I thank you, Lord, that the example of his life is one that we can look at where everybody says, wow, that's a person who the Lord is with in the good times and the bad times. And I pray that this morning we would understand that that is true for each one of us, that we would acknowledge that you want to be with us. God, I pray that you make us aware of your presence this morning. You promised to send us your Holy Spirit and that when we confess you as Lord, that he would be present. I pray, Lord, that we would not ignore that, but that we would be aware of your presence in this room and in each one of our lives right now. And God, if there are people here who have forgotten about you because they're having a good time, because this is a great time in life and everything seems to be going well, I pray that this morning they would remember you, that you are in control, that they would remember every day and have the confidence to do whatever they need to do, the confidence that knowing that you're with them and that you would get the glory for that and other people would look at us, the people that we know, the people we work with, the people in our relational world and say, the Lord is with that person. I wanna know who that is. And God, for anybody here who is wondering who you are this morning, I pray that they would tell somebody, that you would raise them up to tell somebody they came with or tell somebody who will pray with them or tell somebody who just looks like they know what they're doing, hey, tell me about Jesus that they would understand that Jesus Christ came here to be with them. And he walked a perfect life that they can't live. 
that each one of us can't live and the spiritual angst that we carry around that it's been taken away and nailed to the cross on Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, that that is a promise that's good for all who would confess Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would recognize that this morning and acknowledge you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.